All right. Trinity Church, how you doing? Happy Sunday to you. It's great to see you. It's great to hear you. I love to hear you sing and just the way that your voices are raising up to the Lord. Our whole goal with our service is to be preoccupied with God. We think that's a pretty good working definition for the word worship. So thanks for worshiping with us today. Well, here we are. We're in week three of a series called Giving 101, the basics of generosity. We are doing what every church is always accused of only doing, talking about money. So we're finally doing, we're finally joining the ranks out of every church only apparently ever does. So we are glad that you're here with us. We have these three weeks on stewardship. We kick into some Christmas stuff next week in December. If you're a guest with us today, we want to welcome you. We're glad you're here. We want to welcome all of you here in the worship center, for those of you out on the pavilion, as well as for those of you watching online. And the baptisms are powerful today. It's great to hear. You guys are the only service that gets to kind of hear those, and we're excited for your guys' steps and walks with the Lord and taking that next step of obedience. Well, today, to help me out, I brought my son Jackson. So Jackson's going to be team teaching. <clears throat> with me today, so we're excited for that. In your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these if you want to get those out that'll help you track with us. And also, if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you want to find your way there. Well, as you're doing that, I want to remind you, we have a thing that we have been real excited about called Equipping for Generosity. It's this afternoon from 2 to 5. There's no cost. You don't have to do even anything at this point to register. I would just love for you to come. And here's the heartbeat behind what it is. We realized as we began this series that for some of us, it was like, hey, you know, Todd, I want to be more generous. I want to live according to God's design about things like stewardship, but I've got a lot of obstacles a lot of challenges that are keeping me from living that way. So we intentionally ask people from, that are really, that live this at Trinity Church, and we have a guest coming from the desert as well, who are going to be presenting this afternoon on all kinds of topics related to the kind of things that often are struggles, that often are obstacles to keeping us from being generous. And so it's called Equipping for Generosity this afternoon, two to five, no cost, and there's nothing to do to register. All you need to do is come over. We're going to be across the way in the ministry building, M102, and just meet us there at two o'clock, and then we'll disperse to the different sessions. There's five options. You'll have, you'll, you'll have two choices of things you can go to out of the five that are offered. All right, so we look forward to being there uh, with you this afternoon and to be helpful. Well, here's what we've been doing. If, you haven't, if you're new with us today or, or visiting, we've been looking at this passage in 2 Corinthians 9. We've said that 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 <clears throat> give a, a, really the whole focus of those two chapters of this book that Paul writes to the believers at Corinth are really dedicated to the idea of giving and stewardship and generosity. So we've taken one small slice out of that passage and we've been working our way through 2 Corinthians 9 a little bit. And what we've realized is is that generosity, giving, is at the heart, the essence of who God is. And we have been benefactors. We have been those who have been receiving from God in terms of his kindness, his goodness. And yet we're talking about in this series, so why is it that it's hard for us to be generous in return? 
Some of us struggle, I, and I've told you throughout this series, man, this is not something that I'm naturally wired to do. I don't know why or how, but I do know I've seen God's grace in growing me. This trajectory is one of growth, and that's our hope for you as well, that God would just continue to show that he is faithful. That's why we even, the song that we just did, Do It Again, was when I asked Bill to do, because I realized for many of us, that's really where our minds go related to God's faithfulness is how he has provided for us in times of either crisis or in times of just need. And we've just seen, God, look at the way your faithfulness continues to just impress me or surprise me. And so I think I've often, when I think of that song and when I'm singing it, those are some of the instances that my mind goes to. And so today we just wanna get that moving in motion and we wanna ask the question, God, if you are such a giver, then how can I reflect your character by being generous? And, And what does that actually look like and how do I begin? Today, what we're going to see in this final part of 2 Corinthians 9 that we're looking at is we're going to see Paul say that when we give in generosity, we we actually might give it in a way that's devoted to God, but it has this amazing meeting of needs this way towards people, and as a result, God gets the credit. So that's what we're looking at. In your notes on the screen, this is our now what statement for today as we dive in. When you have this heart... God's essence of giving is communicated to others when you're generous towards them. We want to demonstrate today from what we'll see in Scripture that people get to see the generous heart and nature of God when you give generously. Number one in your notes today, giving meets needs horizontally and sends thanks vertically. Giving meets needs horizontally and sends thanks vertically. We're in 2 Corinthians 9, picking it up in verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So see those two words, it's not only supplying, it's not only filling up, but it's actually overflowing into this other idea of people thanking God as a result. Throughout this series, what we've done is we've just sent a real quick reminder of what we're just calling Giving 101. Look in your notes or on the screen. It's just some things I want to keep before you every week. The first is this. I don't think any of this idea of understanding God's design for what, how we're supposed to use his resources, none of it makes sense until I understand that's what's mine isn't mine. It has to begin with this idea of stewardship, that I am not owner, I'm instead a manager or a steward of what God has entrusted in my care. If I don't get that, I don't think anything else kind of following this line of thinking out really makes any sense. But when you see all throughout scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you see this idea that God always says, hey, I'm the one who created it. I put it in motion. I'm the owner, but I'm going to supply. I'm going to meet needs. I'm going to put stuff under your care so that it's uh, invested wisely. So this idea of stewardship is the first big idea. The second one is the idea of trust. That I really believe that trust is, or a lack of trust, is usually the thing that keeps us from giving obediently and consistently. So trust is that hinge. And it's often that idea of going, God, I just don't know. Man, if I trust you with this, I don't know how you're going to provide. How are you going to meet my needs? And what we've seen is time and time again when we say, God, I do trust you. Trust doesn't mean I already know the answer. I already know how it's going to work out. That's kind of the nature of trust. It's very much like the end of faith. I take a step forward and watch God take care of the rest. 
And so this idea of trust being a huge piece of the equation. Then we've kind of given three words. I told you I got them from Andy Stanley. And I just think they're powerful related to my presence of mind when it comes to giving. Number one, that I would do it as a priority. That concept of first fruits. And we see that in both covenants. The idea that God says, you know what? Don't don't give to me leftovers. Begin by setting this portion aside. Give it first and live on what you have left. And that kind of goes into that next P word, the idea of percentage. That you would say, you know what, God, we're gonna be, we're gonna be thoughtful about this. We're gonna take some time to go, this is how, this is what we're gonna set aside to you. We've said it during this series that for some of us, when you hear the T word, right, when you hear the word tithe, that initially, if you're not giving in any kind of obedient, consistent, cheerful way, then that just is gonna blow you out of the water. God, how in the world? I'm having a hard time as I'm not giving, living off of what I make. How in the world can I do that minus 10%? Well, he said, first off, that tithe idea, I really believe, was God's standard for his unique people in the old covenant. But as we cross that over into the new, really where I think it all begins, rather than just kind of being blown away by a percentage that you don't think you can handle, we've said it last week, just begin. Just begin in that first fruits and in that uh, percentage idea, go, God, we're going to dedicate this kind of amount and giving that to you and your kingdom cause. And we're just going to take a step in that direction of obedience. And then as we go, we're just going to watch the ability for you to provide and for us to increase. And that's that three, third P word is progressive, that there's an opportunity as we receive more in terms of resource, we have more to give away, more we can be generous with. So these are some ideas weekly that we've said, let's just remind ourselves of those and develop kind of a cold Culture, develop a, an idea for us when we understand the basics of giving. Let's look back to this passage. We begin in the first, in verse 12 today. The word that you read there, the word service, he says you perform this service. That's a Greek word from what we get our English word liturgy. Liturgy, it's an interesting word. Some of us have heard that word before and often when you think of it, it means the idea that in like maybe a worship service, there's a flow, there's an orderliness to things, there's a liturgy of how you do what, when. So that's kind of what this word means, which is interesting because that's not the context of how Paul's using it, like for a worship service, do it this way. But he is saying that it's a service. The meaning of the Greek word is that it's a sacred ministry to the Lord a sacred ministry to the Lord. So the idea of something that's devoted to God, Paul says, as you are performing this, as you are thoughtfully, intentionally giving this gift as dedicated to the Lord. Now, what's cool about that, when you think about it, Paul's not saying that someone's giving a gift and somehow like in the old, in the former covenant, putting it on an altar and burning it up to God. He's saying, no, the gift that you're giving is actually resources that I'm going to take with me and take to parts of the world that either haven't heard the gospel yet or to provide for relief for God's people who have. So the gifts that the Corinthians were giving to Paul were actually going to be used horizontally. They were going to be used towards people, but Paul says, what you're doing is you're giving a gift to God. So how can both these things be true? How can an offering that's set apart, sacred to the Lord, be given to people? And the reality is that's exactly the point. Paul says, when you give to meet the needs of people, God's people or even people who haven't yet come to faith, the reality is it, it is an offering unto him. It's something sacred to him. 
in this process, in this uh, six-week period that we're in, we're looking uh, and excited, like you heard today, about really a thing that's become a great tradition, a great staple of Trinity Church called Advent Conspiracy. And I love that. I love that we would say, let's take some time and just process and think of great partnerships of people that we can join forces with through finances at this time of the year, right? When people think generously more often than other times at Christmas. And and that's been so great. And as I'm listening and and thinking of these different things, I love the different projects like you. You're kind of going, man, I want to give to all of them. And I would just say, do. That's You should. That's a great idea. And we've got these projects weekly we're hearing about. And you hear about uh, what God is doing. Cal Poly San Luis Obispo is one of the largest crew chapters of anywhere in the country. I love that we get to partner with Jordan and Jenny on a monthly basis, but even in this unique special offering. And then you think of what, the, what God's doing with the trots down in South America. And you think about that ability to be able to give. That's exciting things. So with that whole idea, that pulls at our heartstrings, and rightly so, we say, that's where I want to partner. That's where I want to send resources to meet some amazing needs. But then the reality is, is, but what about the needs that are here every week? I want to do this. I don't want to let another week go by in this series without stopping to thank you. Because as we're doing this series, we're really trying to connect the dot for people who are like, I don't know if I can trust God yet, if I'm going to be honest with giving. But there are so many of you who have been doing that for literally decades. And decades, not just at any place, but decades here at Trinity. So I want to thank you for the fact that you have been giving obediently. You have been giving consistently. You have been giving cheerfully. I want to thank you for the way you have been supporting this ministry for so long. And within that idea, let me help us so we all understand, giving on a, on a weekly basis to Trinity Church usually ends up in one of three places. Either our ministry fund, and that ministry fund really covers the, the majority of what we just call operating expenses, from taking care of this campus to the idea of our personnel costs, to that of program lines that we can spend to help with our ministries, as well as our global workers, their monthly support comes from that fund. Another fund that we have is called the HELPS Fund, and HELPS Fund is basically, as funds come in, we as pastors are able to help people that are connected to Trinity Church in times of financial need. That's a a huge win to be able to come alongside people when they're in crisis. And then thirdly, there's a building fund as well that's paying down our debt on our campus. Those three funds are what people generally give to on a very normative basis. Advent Conspiracy, six six weeks for one part of the year. All these other funds are going on year round. And, And so now look at the contrast. You hear about these great projects like I do and I get excited. But then it's like, but our ministry fund goes to pay you the light bill. Or our ministry fund goes to help subsidize middle school events so we can have pizza for junior hires. Or our ministry fund uh, account goes to help cover health insurance for our staff. And all of a sudden you kind of go, oh, what? that's nice. That's not nearly as attractive, right? As reaching college students on a college campus or doing stuff down in South America. That's attractive. That's exciting. These are like, wah, wah. And so I say to you today, and that's really what's exciting to me, I love that we're doing this series in the midst of Advent Conspiracy because here's my hope. I know when, we, when elders were talking about, was it even wise to do Advent Conspiracy this year, knowing some of the places we're at financially as a church, one thing we absolutely agreed on, though, which was not going to be a problem, was that the people of Trinity 
would fund Advent Conspiracy. It's a $45,000 goal that we received simply to give away. We knew you would, though, because you do. You have this great heart to want to join and want to partner with these special offerings, just like you do for our camp offering in the spring. But I will say this, part of the goal of this series is to begin to turn a corner. Because Advent Conspiracy has always been promoted years ago from when it started as what we call an over and above offering. Meaning, it's not something that I just go, God, I'm going to give to you, and this is the only kind of gift I'm going to give. It's in addition to how I'm giving in other areas. So within that idea, that's what I love about the timing of this series, is we're able to say, God, would you do a work in hearts that move a people who have been showing generosity to special causes and special offerings, would you move that heart even more to say, you know what, I want to give to keep the lights on. I want to give obediently to be able to make sure that there's pizza for middle schoolers at events. I want to give obediently and cheerfully and consistently so that our staff can have health care. You see, those are wins. And by the way, I wouldn't want you to miss this. I wouldn't want you to, where those seem like they're wah, wah, I want you to actually hear the win. You see, I loved last week being able to, we finished the service, I got to tell you Valerie's story. Valerie got to go to summer camp last year because you gave to the impact offering. And not only did she come to Christ at camp, but then a couple months later got baptized up at Forest Home with us at our fall reunion. It's just so exciting to see, but I want you to see this. When you give to the ministry fund and that pays the light bill, Valerie was here last Tuesday night. I bumped into her on my way into another meeting. Valerie was here Tuesday. She's growing in her walk with the Lord because you're paying the light bill so she can be in a building at night and have a sound system that works. See, that, that counts. That is actually doing things that are enriching and enhancing people's lives. When you give to our ministry fund so junior hires can have pizza at events, guess what that creates? It creates a culture. If there's ever a time in anyone's life when they feel like they don't fit in, man, I think it's always middle school. And when you create a culture where everyone's welcome and people can come and they can begin to belong where maybe they don't feel like they belong in any other place in their life, that's a win. And you're helping make that happen. And when I think of our staff members like Luke and Hilke who oversee those areas, when you are helping provide um, uh, health insurance for them and for their families, you free them up so they can do that job and lead the teams to reach students at Trinity Church. You see, that's exciting and that's all stuff. And I want you to hear, just like Paul is saying, as you give gifts dedicated to God, they have a horizontal need that they meet. But what happens as a result is vertically people thank God. I will tell you, just like I said last week, how Valerie and the people in her world are thankful that you gave specifically to camp. Our high school students are thankful that you pay the light bill so they can gather on Tuesday nights. Our middle school students are thankful that they can come to a place and feel like they belong. Hilke and Luke's families are grateful that you've given so they can have health insurance and take care of their family. All of these things factor into the big picture of what God's doing. As you give horizontally, praises and thanks go vertically. All right, that's our first point. Welcome Jackson up. He's gonna do our second one. Thank you, thank you. Morning, Trinity Church. It's exciting to get to be with you this morning. It's always a pleasure. Um, my wife and I are so excited to get to be down here for this week of Thanksgiving and 
celebrate with family, but thank you, Pops, for letting me hang out here for the morning. So um, excited to get to be with you guys. Uh, this next section of the passage, I want to I call it, uh, Can You Imagine? Um, because really what Paul's painting is he's painting the, uh, this idea of, of the generosity of this Corinthian church and all that it's going to do spiritually and its impact for the gospel. Uh, and so I, I want us to kind of come together with these next two verses, verses 13 and 14, and try to wrap our minds around what it would be like to imagine uh, Trinity Church being a place that by our generosity, uh, the reality of the gospel is seen so palpably that people come to know Jesus through our generosity. So that's what I, that's what I want us to be kind of thinking of. So check this out. This is what he starts to uh, lay out here in 2 Corinthians verses 13 and 14. He says, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. There in verse 13, uh, Paul establishes not only will generosity be a service, like my dad was talking about, but it'll be a service that's also tied to obedience. What Paul's doing is Paul is putting generosity in the category of something that you and I have been saved to, okay? So there's an, there's an important distinction here. Uh, we talk a lot about things that we've been saved from, right? A lot of us uh, could relate to having been saved not only from sin, but maybe from a, addictive or destructive behaviors, um, from a pattern of our life that was hurting other people, like the gospel of Jesus Christ has saved us from death, destruction, decay, sin, all of these horrible things that were going on in our lives, right? So we talk a lot when we're speaking about things that we've been saved from, now, we talk very little, though, sometimes about what we've been saved to, because there is only one truly free being in the universe, right? That's how freedom works. There's only one being who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however much of it he wants, whenever, and all of those things, right? And that's going to be God. So our freedom in the gospel is not a freedom in the sense of an absolute freedom where now I can do what I want on the other side of the gospel. Everything is awesome for me, and I'm just going to go do whatever feels right, but now now I've been saved from this, and I've been saved to something. So my bondage that was there to sin is now replaced with a bondage to Jesus Christ. And in my bondage to Jesus Christ, there is service and obedience that comes out of my bondage to Jesus Christ, right? So Paul is putting generosity in the category of what you and I have been saved to. It's one of the active pieces of being a Christian. It's one of the active pieces of what we've been called to as Christians on this other side of the gospel. And what Jesus describes so simply about what we're being saved to is Jesus puts it into simple categories of loving God and loving people, right? That's what he puts it into. So how would generosity not fit so beautifully into being saved to loving God and loving people? Because like we've already talked about so many times in this series, it's in our generosity that the generosity of God is reflected, right? So it is a, it's a loving thing as we are generous with each other, as we're generous to people who don't know Jesus, right? There is a, there's an impact that happens there that's very representative of the person of God. It's a very loving thing the way that we represent God in our generosity. And so it's loving towards God, but then also you can't love a single person without some degree of generosity, 
right? Like there needs to be some factor in love that doesn't work out in your favor, right? It, ha- it can't all be in your best interest, right? It can't all be for your benefit because then it's not really love. You're manipulating people. That's not actual love. And so to have actual real life love for other people means that there has to be some degree of generosity involved, which makes it really interesting because if you and I were talking about if we like sat down and had coffee and you were to ask me, hey, how, how have you seen the gospel in your life? I would probably begin to lay out for you things like, well, um, I'm reading my Bible more frequently. Um, I'm praying more often. Uh, I am, I, I'm going to all of these church activities, right? I show up on Sundays. I show up on Wednesdays. I have a Bible study that I go to, right? I'd start to lay out all of these things that I do because that is our evidence in our mind of, of the reality of the gospel in our lives is I'm, I'm getting involved in more things at church. My theology's grown a little bit since I, since I first started following Jesus. And, and a lot of times I think it would maybe be similar for you. You might say, this is how I know that the gospel's in my life is because my theology's grown, my involvement in church has grown, my, like, my service has grown, these kind of things where Paul would identify generosity as maybe the single greatest marker of the presence of the gospel in your life. The gospel is completely oriented around generosity, right? Very similarly to the way that the gospel has everything to do with forgiveness. So just the same as if your understanding of the gospel has not made you a more forgiving person, If your understanding of the gospel has also not made you a more generous person, you have likely missed the gospel. Because the gospel is all about forgiveness and generosity. It's all about a God giving to a group of people who didn't deserve it remotely and giving not just a little bit, giving not just a lot, giving literally everything down to his own very life so that they would be able to have a free relationship with him when they didn't deserve it. That's beautiful. And that is all forgiveness and all generosity, yet it's our propensity to sit on the other side of that gospel and say, okay, I'm growing in the gospel because I'm understanding more. I'm growing in the gospel because I'm reading and I'm praying more. And I'm growing in the gospel because I'm spending more time with Jesus' people. And that's how I know I'm growing in the gospel, while oftentimes our generosity is anemic. Then I think the question has to be asked, have we forgotten the generosity of the gospel, because what Paul lays out so clearly is that the reality of the gospel will be seen in generosity. Generosity reveals the reality of the gospel, and the reason why generosity is the best marker, the reason why generosity is the best marker for the reality of the gospel in your life is because it's so unnatural, right? Let's just do this for for the sake of the experiment here. Let's take God out of the picture, okay? Let's go just like full-on Darwin survival of the fittest, right? Survival of the fittest, as you're just living life, generosity makes no sense. The whole point of life is that you should accumulate as much of whatever you need as you possibly can, and you maybe protect the people that are in your immediate family, but no one else, because you just pile up and pile up and save for yourself and protect yourself at all costs. And if you were to just start siphoning off some of your possessions, some of your belongings, some of your time, your effort, your talents, your energy to random people that can't benefit you in any way... 
You're not even exchanging those services for something like, you know, like a, like a service from them or anything like that. Then what's the point? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. You're just, you're, you're like just wasting away what you have. It doesn't make any sense. You bring God back into the picture, though, with the reality of the gospel. Generosity only makes sense in the context of the gospel because generosity comes with a deep faith and trust in the fact that there is, there is a person who loves and cares for me so deeply that I could give everything I have to everyone around me and it would still not be anywhere near as much as he has given me. And he will not let me be in need. He will not let me be in want. He will not let me fail. He will not let me falter. There comes a deep trust in the protection of this gracious and faithful God. Outside of the context of the gospel, generosity makes no sense because you should just be stockpiling to protect yourself. But it is the gospel that turns our eyes outwards and says that there is, there's more life in actually giving away. There's more wealth. There's more success. There's more beauty. There's more life in giving away than piling for myself. The gospel is, it's the antithesis of the upside-down kingdom. Wealth in God's kingdom is not about what you accumulate, but what you give. Very different than the way that our kingdoms work today. But wealth in God's kingdom is not about what you accumulate, but what you give. So the reality of the gospel will be seen in our generosity. And then check this out. In verse 14, Paul says, and in their prayers, he's speaking of people who will be impacted and affected by this generosity. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. What Paul's saying in verse 14 is there is going to be a long line of people that you could not possibly count or even know who will be deeply impacted by your generosity. And they will be praying, thanks be to God for the generosity of so many people I don't even know who have been instrumental in bringing me to Christ. And if you don't believe him, just think back to what brought you to Christ. What brought you to Christ? Who brought you to Christ? What was the context? What did it look like? What was your first time showing up to church? For me, in, in my experience that brought me to Christ, it was walking onto a church campus that had been funded for years before anyone ever knew me or I ever knew of the church. At five years old, had been funded by so many people in so much generosity, and I walked onto the campus, and I walked into my classroom, and in my classroom, there was a sweet lady who was a teacher during the week, and she had to be hanging out with snot-nosed kids like me all week long, and then decided to be generous continuously with her time, and on her one of her her days off on the weekend. She would take an hour out of her day off to spend time with me to try to help my, my finite little mind understand the love of Jesus and the grace that he has for me and the way that he wants me when all I was really interested in is the airheads that she had brought for me. Um, and I was just like, how do I get another airhead? Um, and, and she's sitting there and loving me and being so generous in her time in the fact that she'd go buy candy herself and bring it to me in the fact that she definitely should not want to be hanging out with kids anymore after she hangs out with them all week and she still shows up for me. And that was at five what brought me to Jesus. And then my continued growth in the gospel also tied to the generosity of other believers. 
also tied to the generosity of other believers. Other believers who would raise money to help send me to camp in junior high and high school. Others who would raise money to help send me on missions trips in junior high and high school. Others like my youth leaders who would bring me into their homes after work, they had just worked a long day, and then they'd bring me as a guest into their house, and they'd cook a meal for me, and they'd ask me how I'm doing, and how my life is going, and what my relationships look like, and they'd be generous with their time, and there was no pressure to be out by 8 p.m. It was like, oh, you could just, you could, you could stay here. Do you want to sleep here? Like, it's fine. Like, this, my house is your house. It was ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And those are the things, those are the relationships, those generous relationships, those generous people who gave to help support my youth ministry and all of those things. Those are the things that grew me in my relationship with God. And I would guess that your experience with the gospel, your growth in the gospel is marked by the same generosity of believers. Yet our approach for how are we going to how are we going to go after people who don't know Jesus our approach tends to be well i'm going to get holier and as i get more righteous people will start to see more of jesus in me i'm going to post spiritually charged messages on facebook and instagram and they will for sure come to know jesus through the verses that i post on instagram i'll pray out loud when i go out to eat and I'm out in public, I'll pray out loud, and then they'll know, they'll know Jesus by that. It's really interesting, most of my tactics for helping other people know Jesus cost me nothing. Have zero generosity involved whatsoever. It's all about me, getting them to look at me, improving myself. And somehow in improving myself, I have the tendency to think that that's going to bring them to Jesus. And can I just say, thanks be to God that that's not how he operated with us. Thanks be to God that you go back to Romans and he says, first thing, first way you could have known me, creation. Thanks be to God that he didn't stop with a sunset that cost him nothing and say, look, there I am. You see me? You want to interact with me? You want to be with me? Just look at the beauty of the sunset, right? Thanks be to God that then in his next step, he didn't stop with religious rules and say, hey, here's the things that I'm interested in. Also cost him nothing. But here's another way that you could get to know me. Thanks be to God that he was generous enough to, to step down from his high position, come to the lowly position of being like us, and give up his own life for us. Yet we're sitting back and we're saying, hey, how can we get people to know Jesus? Well, let me just find some things that cost me nothing. When the life of Jesus so clearly says the only way people come to Jesus is when it costs you everything cost him everything. And for us, I just feel like the question's got to be, can we find some ways to love people that at least cost us something? That at least cost us something? Because a lot of the ways that we go about trying to bring people to Jesus costs us nothing. And so even if you're at the point financially that you're like, hey, I'm, I'm giving regularly to Trinity and I'm, I'm not really in a place that I have money to kind of give generously in other places right now, well, man, can I just tell you that my growth in the gospel, my coming to the gospel didn't just come through financial generosity, but generosity of people with their time, effort, energy, and talents. How can you be generous with your home? How can you be generous with the resources you already have? How can you be generous with the talents that you have? How can you get involved and be generous with your time, talents, efforts, and energy as well? Because to bring people to Jesus, 
it's going to cost us a little bit. Which brings me to that last point, which is that the world will know him by our generosity. The world is going to know him by the way that we are generous with our money, time, talent, effort. My dad's going to wrap it up for us. Finally today, number three in your notes, Jesus is God's most generous gift of all. We've said it through different ways, not even just today, but throughout this series. Jesus is God's most generous gift of all. And Jackson was alluding to it, the idea that, hey, God says, when he says, I love you, what, is, what do we say all the time? For God so loved the world, he gave, gave. Look at this, uh, the last part of our passage shows that, 2 Corinthians nine fifteen. thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I thought, how cool is this? A guy who loves Christmas, absolutely big deal in our home like it is in probably most of yours. We love Christmas. How cool is it we get to talk about Christmas before even Thanksgiving? This was a win. Man, the way the calendar laid out in this passage was awesome because that's what that verse is saying. Thanks be to God for giving us his one-of-a-kind son. And think back to where it says in Scripture what that was like. What was that modeling of generosity like? Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32, If God didn't even spare his son, but would willingly give him in your place so the great exchange could happen, his life for yours... What would ever keep him from taking care of you? Titus 3, 4 through 6, but when the kindness and love of our God and our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. The Bible tells us because we hadn't done any, but because of his mercy, his forgiveness, as Jackson was talking about earlier. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, watch, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And lastly, I love it in James 1, 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. This next month, next Sunday, we kick off our Christmas series, and we're calling it this year The Thrill of Hope. And I just love it. You know that from that uh, great Christmas carol. But I love the phrase, number one, that we're going to focus on hope for people who often feel hopeless. But hope isn't just it. It's the thrill of hope. There, it wells up inside of us something about the greatness of what Jesus came to make a way for us, to give us true, lasting hope that produces a thrill. And think of what Jesus came in terms of the wealth that he demonstrated. He arrived in a stable. He lived without a bed to call his own. He was crucified on a criminal's cross and his body laid in a stranger's tomb. Jesus did not come and exude worldly wealth, but what he could give, what he alone could give, he gave a righteous life. Jesus alone, his life could atone for yours and mine. And the greatest gift, the greatest need we had, he fulfilled. And so within that, we get to talk about this great, great God. Look in your notes. A giving God gave his giving son so that you could in turn be a cheerful giver, simply demonstrating whose you are. A giving God gave his giving son so that you in turn could become a cheerful giver 
simply demonstrating whose you are. That's my prayer for us as we move into this Christmas holiday season. God, like never before, would we be a people who exude your character, your nature, your essence by being a people who are generous. Jackson's gonna pray. We're gonna close the service. Dear God, uh, we love you so much. God, we stand in awe of how gracious you've been with us, of how much you've given, the, the cost of your giving and your sacrifice that we couldn't ever take the time to total up, Lord, just blows our mind. Lord, we are so thankful for the way that you have been so gracious and so generous with us. And Lord, as I, as I stand um, as kind of an outsider to Trinity, uh, Lord, I, I just want to pray a prayer of thanks for the generosity that has fueled all that Trinity is in its history so far, Lord. The generous people sitting in these very seats in this very room who have fueled so much ministry, so much service, who have been so obedient to the call of your gospel. Lord, we, we thank you for them. We thank you for the ministry that you've done through their generosity. And Lord, as we look ahead, as we look ahead to the next years of ministry that will be done, Lord, we, we pray for courage for our hearts. We pray for courage and confidence and trust in who you are, that we would be able to be generous, that we would be able to be filled with your generosity, a generosity that would reflect and represent your gospel and the way that you have so graciously given to us. Lord, we love you so much, and it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.